Thanks, Sean. You guys hear him? What time's the 7 o'clock meeting start? 7 o'clock. Thank you very much. We open every meeting of position of neutrality with a prayer, and Wayne has agreed to do that tonight. Good. Are you on? It's on. Everybody stand to your feet, please. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your grace and, and your power and your spirit that you, that you give to us. We ask you to come, come into this place tonight, God, and speak to our hearts and speak to our minds, Lord God. May we have the power to look introspectively and to share that with another human being. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. For all of you who are praying people, Chaplain Lee is in the hospital again tonight. You can offer him up in prayer. Um, thank you all for coming. It's a light group. We didn't, must not have got the memo out. Um, I, some of you, how many of you are alumni? Bunch of you. First of all, thanks for coming out. And second, you've probably been seeing on social media the surveys that are out there. We're trying to continue to track outcomes out in the community. Those of you that are out killing it, we need the policymakers and people in the community to know that you're still doing good. So we're tracking data about the jobs you have and, and you know the successes you're having out there. So it, it, it has nothing to do with the stuff we had to do with access. I know I've seen some of that chatter. This is all about making sure the people at the legislature and the city council and at you know, all levels of government know that people come out of here, they succeed at high rates, and they're, they're uh, achieving things that have never been thought possible. But we need your help to fill out those surveys so when you see them either on this broadcast later if you look at it or, or on any of our social media if you just follow the links and if you guys are still in touch with some of your other graduates if you would do that those of you watching us online you know click on that link and, and send us back we're trying to get that those survey results because it matters when we go to the legislature and to various places where we're trying to get policy that's more friendly to what we try and do here yeah so how many of you are here for the first time tonight Okay, good. So first of all, welcome, and second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships that you may have attended, and the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. Um, what we do, we've been doing for lots of years. We just take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yes? Yeah. So what I'm doing up here is trying to show you how I find my experience in the book, because it's a book of experience. It's their testimony, the first 100 who recovered, and their witness of the first several thousand who recovered. So 
I'm going to try and show you how I find my experience. I'm going to encourage you to have your experience. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many have you been there before and can witness these folks that happen? So, <laughs> so those of you that are online, they raise their hands signifying when we speak to you of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience, tangible. You will feel it. When you do, I'll know. And I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of that power. And we got this little thing we do here, if you've never been here before. When I say God, you say, because some people come here and they're confused about certain theological concepts and they don't understand we're talking about tangible sensory power to restore, to redeem, to recreate. Yes? Okay, so tonight we're in steps five, six, and seven. And we're in the chapter, to Sean's point, entitled Into Action. Sean, Sean brings up a good point. Do you notice how we went from how it works into action? Do you know why? How many of you tried to think your way into better acting in your active addiction? How many of you struggled with that? So we are a class of people who cannot think our way into better acting. We have to act our way into better thinking. Does it make sense? So they didn't put a chapter in here into thinking. They went right into action. Make sense? Okay. So starting with the top of the page, having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? How many of you have made a personal inventory? How many of you had someone helping you decide what to do about it? How many of you have tried to do it without someone helping you? Well, I think people feel a little ashamed of that, but the truth is, if it's something they told us last week, it's something most of us have never attempted, there is no reason you should know how. There's absolutely no reason you should know how. And those of us who have done it before that are trying to guide you, we don't know what's in your inventory, but we can show you what's in ours. We can show you how to get to a product that's going to help you with the rest of the steps. Does it make sense? Okay. So it says we've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. Is that what you've been trying to do? Nobody's saying nothing. <laughs> it's a light crowd, and I don't know what happened. Um, a lot of people don't get that because they come here atheist or agnostic. Of the first 100, about half of them were atheist or agnostic. But they, their experience through this process changed their mind. They witnessed to that. So what we're saying to you now is, as someone who once had doubts, the reason I wanted a new relationship with Creator is someone explained to me that my relationship with creation was my relationship with creator. So if I'm having a tough time in creation, might want to check in with creator. Whether or not I believe doesn't matter, I'm just being honest, I'm having a tough time in creation. Fair enough? Okay, so that's why I might want a new relationship with creator, because I'm having a rather rough time in creation. All right. So then it says, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects and we've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our 
finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. How many of you ascertained in a rough way what the trouble was as you went through a fourth step inventory? Pretty rough for some of us, right? But, okay. So this is now these are about to be cast out. Do you notice how it doesn't say you're going to cast them out or I'm going to cast them out? The truth within you is going to cast them out. Does that make sense? Okay. So this requires action on our part, which when completed we will, will mean that we've admitted to God. We got a lag. That was like the wave. Want to try it again? We've admitted to God to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So in the preceding chapter, how it works, they went through the whole process, yes? Okay. So this is perhaps difficult. Why do you think the very next thing they told us was that this is perhaps difficult as they presented this next action step to me? How many of you looked at the steps on the wall before you were exposed to it and you saw that you were going to have to tell somebody about all that stuff you did? I'll take that to the grave. (laughs) So now having done the inventory, we've, we've realized that me and this other human being and this power within me knows, but now I'm going to have to tell this person I desperately want to like me. Any of you know what I'm talking about? especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough admitting these things to ourselves. How many of you have had that happen to you? This can be a little secret between me and and the big fella. They don't need to know about that. How many of you have done a fifth step? How many of you tried to hold it back? Were you surprised when they said, what are you holding back? Remember how I told you the experience of the spirit is tangible? Guys, don't let fear steal from you a better version of you. The person you're sitting with knows if you're holding back. Because when you let it go, we get a hit of the spirit. Let me tell you something about me you may not know. No one has ever stolen a hit from me I didn't know. I know if you hold my hit. Any of you heard of Fifth Step? No, I'm not lying? We know. Okay. All right. So there's doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. They're also talking to you about the manner of living going forward. So even after you've done a fifth step, there may be as you're going through in your 10-step disciplines and you're starting to grow in the all-inclusive nature of it, you may try and solve a problem in your mind rather than cop to who you are, and you may have difficulty solving it without getting an outside perspective. Does that make sense? I'm trying to help you understand. These are practices we learn here. We're just going to get disciplined in them in the later steps. Okay, so many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. So those of you that are afraid to move forward, would it help if we gave you some good reasons why you might want to do so based on my experience? It would make more sense, right? Because that's the kind of people we are. 
I'm not going to tell you what you need to do, but I'm going to tell you I once thought and felt as you did, but I doubt I'd have made the progress I have had I not taken action. Here's the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. If you want what we have, you're willing to go to even certain lengths to get it, then you're going to have to get ready to take some steps. Yeah? Okay. I'll say the best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. So that's something we may not lay out for them as truthfully as we should, and we owe that to them. How many of you came here to overcome an addiction? I mean, to the fellowships. I, I ask that, and people think it's a no-brainer, but I have come to recovery to fade some heat before. Any of you ever come here to fade heat? I didn't come, I didn't come here to do anything but overcome your opinion of my behavior. I need to judge how serious you are. You really want to overcome your addiction, you want to do this. If, you, if you're not, then do you, boo, right? Okay, so time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Any of you had some certain facts about your life you just soon kept to yourself? Let me talk to you about the gravity of that doesn't matter to me if the Spirit sent me and you together what you've got to say. That it's none of my business. I'm just here to help you process through it. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to disturb me. There's probably nothing you're going to say that I haven't heard. But the reality is, if you won't tell me who loves you enough to let, you, let me carry your burden for you while you walk through it, then you're never going to use it to help up the sick and dying man or woman. And if you don't do that, you'll never get the healing you need. Because you're not going to get the healing because you told me. You're going to get the healing when you find somebody dying of that very thing and said, God meet you right where you are, and he sent me to you because he knew where I'd been and he knew where you are, and we're going to walk out of here together. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Again, we may not overcome our addiction if we don't dig in. That's all. Okay. So having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. How many of you have had that issue? Did everything you thought you were supposed to do and then got spun? So one of the things we should tell you is one of the things we have done badly over the years is we haven't convinced people there's a program and a fellowship. Not because we're legalists, but because it's information people should have. Sitting in rooms is not being in the program, even though that's how we say it. You can be in the fellowship and not be in the program. But if you're in the program, it's a manner of living and it goes on for life. So there is no rest of the program because the decision I made in three was that I would advocate for my brother or sister as long as I had breath in my lungs. So as long as I'm still sucking air, I ain't done. Does that make sense? And that's what we need to help people understand. It's a manner of living. It requires rigorous honesty of me to me. 
Well, people always think outward, but it's not. If you want to find this power, the desire must come from within. You want to grow in this power, the desire must come from within. No amount of trickery, or it's not going to work. Okay, so we think the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. How many of you thought that doing the fourth step and maybe everything you could think of in the fifth step was completing your house cleaning? We, we, we could think that, right? The house cleaning is taking, now that I'm properly armed with the facts about myself, and I've gotten my spirit empowered through going through the freedom step, the purpose step, the ninth step, now I'm in the big amends, the twelfth step, and that's where the house gets cleaned. I have repurposed what I thought was a wasted life in service to my brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? Okay, so then it says, they only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves. They have the word thought in italics. Why? Where's the main problem center? In the mind. The mind that would allow me to let fear steal from me, the man I could be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get me right there. My fear of what you'll think of me when you know this about me. Yes? So you don't lose, you don't think your way into selflessness. You have to act your way into selflessness. Does it make sense? And you really won't act your way into selflessness. All you'll do is offer yourself to someone else, and in the process of meeting their needs, you'll, your needs will be met, and you'll learn what it is to be rid of self. Yes? Okay. But they had not earned, learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. All is in italics. Why do they emphasize that? Because my life didn't end when I came to recovery. In fact, in a very real way, I was dying one day at a time till I came to recovery and entered into this. And that was the first time I started to live. And again, as long as I got breath in my lungs, I haven't lived all my life story. Does that make sense? More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. How many of you wanted to have a certain persona? How many of you were pretty good at acting toward that persona? How many at times fell short of the persona? You know how it felt within you when that happened? I want to be thought of this way, but I know I don't deserve it. They're talking about the storm, the battle within, that will cause us to medicate. Does that make sense? It's sensory, isn't it? I'm feeling, who's feeling what I'm putting down here? Yeah, that's the power we call God. That's not happening from up here. That's happening in you. Okay. So it says the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. How many of you had sprees? Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. Anybody? Hope they didn't see that. For most of you, they probably had it on camera. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. 
As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they'll never see the light of day. He's under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. So, any of you relate to that plan? Man, I hope no one saw that. Push it down. Push it down far inside myself. Where's the power found? Deep down inside. I'm pushing down all that garbage on top of that light that I need to live. Y'all relate to the plan? It's not a very good plan, is it? No, but we all recognize it as humans, don't we? we got to grow in the Spirit so that we know that there are no secrets in the realm of the Spirit. And we get freer and freer and freer of the idea that we can't make a mistake and still be in service. Yes? Okay. So then it says psychologists are inclined to agree with us. How many of you have been to a mental health professional? I should see a lot more hands. How many of you spent a bunch of money or spent a bunch of the insurance company's money on healthcare professionals? How many of you told them the whole truth or followed their advice? Let's see what the author said they did. We've spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we gave these doctors a fair break. We've seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Why do I want you to look at their experience? Because if rarely have you seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. If we, every mistake they made, they recorded. They told you over and over, we're not saints. Point is, we're willing to grow. So we just want you to get honest, and this is why we share our experience and not our opinion. Not because we're legalist. What good does an opinion do for a guy like me who lies to get the opinion he wants? I can't be the only one in the room. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. How many of you have discovered that? In your active addiction, all of you did, right? Any of you go to the hospital to get a little, get a little help? They tell you you're engaging in drug-seeking behavior? It's kind of the way they got the system set up, ain't it? So we must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live longer happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. So it's okay, folks, to take a little time if you need to, to decide who's going to help you with your story. But do not let that, again, we're not going to think our way into better acting. We're going to have to act our way into better thinking. My guess is someone's going to present themselves. You're going to feel safe enough that that's going to be the one. Does it make sense? All right, so those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. So those of you who come from religious traditions that require confession, they're saying go to confession by all means. Make sense? And then they're going to give us some caution about that. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to go to someone ordained by an established religion. How many of you have had fear of pending charges and wanted to talk to somebody 
in the protection of the confessional. Well, I've met lots of them, quite frankly, and it's none of my business. You can tell me what you want to tell me, or you cannot tell me, but if you need to talk to, to clergy, um, you know, as long as it's not an active crime you're talking about, you're probably going to be fine. They're going to protect you. Okay? Um, because they're not bound to. If you tell your behavioral health professional that, we're going to be obligated to turn you in in certain things because we're, we're mandated reporters, just so you know. That's why I'm not a clinician and I am a clergy here. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> I know a lot of shit about a lot of people. Um, <laughs> that's true. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. So it's possible that your priest, minister, or rabbi may not understand the nature of your addictive disorder, and if that be the case, you may not get the full effect of what you're trying to get. So do not replace your AA practice with religious practice, nor your religious practice with AA practice. Do them both. Get it all. If someone offered you two hits, one in each hand, would you squawk at taking both? Well, then stay... Stay the way you've always been. Get two. Be a double-fisted stepper. Okay. All right. So if we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed-mouth understanding friend. How many of you are now have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and now works with others? Bunch of you. So that's what we're trying to grow into is a closed-mouth understanding friend. How many of you would have to admit when you first got here, you were not, neither terribly closed-mouthed nor understanding? How many of you have grown in being able to be quiet and have had understanding flow into you that although in you was not of you? Now you understand why every step on the it says as we understood him because the god i understood then is not the god i understand now it's never been a god of my understanding it's been a god of my experience and then the, once i got in relationship he gave me his understanding does that make sense okay so perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person it may be one of our own family but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy we have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. So understand what? Unaffected by what? I understand they're in the search for the truth. And they, as they unravel to the truth, there's liable to be some disturbing things that they've mistaken for their identity. And I'm not going to, I understand they're in their search for the truth, and I'm unaffected by the process through which we get them there. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it says, the rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be that one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. Do you think that's true in Phoenix, Arizona today? Sean brings up a good point. When people are in custody and they don't really have any privacy, it may not be smart or wise or safe to 
have a bunch of stuff on paper that, right? So they're going to talk to us about the experience of, of prepping. And I've worked with people that did not have that problem. They simply did not feel safe. And one of the things that was impactful to me when the guy who took me through the steps, he asked me, how do you feel? I said, I don't feel safe. He said, if you don't feel safe, you are not safe. Let's keep you moving. So what I would say to anyone that's working with somebody who doesn't feel safe, let's find out if we can, what action can we take to get you feeling safe? Does that make sense? Because we don't need to do anything until you're ready because it won't work until you are, right? Okay. So it may be the one so situated there is no suitable person available. If that's so, this step may be postponed. Only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through it, through with it at the first opportunity. If someone's telling you that and they are sincere, you'll know. And if they're not sincere, it doesn't matter. You can't lie to me without my permission. I'll still know and I'm okay to leave you there. I mean, I wish I didn't have to, but I'm not so silly. It's not my power you're seeking. Okay. So we say this because we're very anxious that we talk to the right person. It's important that he be able to keep a confidence. More job description for those of you that are growing into people who help other people. Be able to keep a confidence that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at and that he will not try and change our plan. Whatever your plan is, we're not going to try and change it as we're taking you through it. If it's a silly plan, we may ask you a few questions. Because none of us that have been in it deep have the delusion that we're all really cognitively able, fresh out of addiction. I mean, I have people talk to people sometimes that makes it, well, you, that doesn't make any sense. Well, of course not. Nothing about my life prior to going through this process and meeting this power made any sense, ever. And it wasn't that I wasn't logical. Okay. So when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. There's a clue for you. If you've decided, it's probably already coming out of you by the time you realize you've decided. We have a written inventory and we're prepared for a long talk. In modern fellowship, the likelihood is you won't have written it. Someone will have sat down and helped you do that and then you'll already be in the preparatory process, but just so you know. And when you're working with somebody, oftentimes you think they would have one ready for you, but they don't know how. So you're going to have to sit down and help them, but I always let them try before they tell me I don't know how, because if they don't learn to ask me they don't know how, they're never going to learn to ask God in them they don't know how. Does that make sense? All right, so we explain to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. What are we about to do and why do we have to do it? Yeah, they wrote this book thinking they could send it out into the world, people would read it and recover on their own, and they found out that wasn't true, that they, they didn't have success with that. So they're now speaking to the person taking you through the step, and I, it'll be my job to say, this is what I had to do, and this is why I had to do it, and this is why I, what I experienced as a result. Are you prepared to proceed? Does it make sense? Yeah. All right, so he should realize that we're engaged upon a life and death errand. 
Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They'll be honored by our confidence. How many of you have been honored when somebody came to you and asked you to help them with something? How many of you have discovered what an honor it is when they literally are entrusting their life to you, which is what's up? So anyone that's in the spirit will know. I can feel you guys feeling me. You are never going to find any of us that are serious about this too busy to help you with your story when you're ready. I guarantee you. If we have to stop what we're doing, we'll go do it, right? That doesn't mean that we're going to rearrange our whole schedule so it fits yours. But if you need to get it out, we're going to stop whatever we're doing, and we're going to get it done. And if you got time, I got time, right? Make sense? Okay. Got to remember it really is a life and death errand. How many of you have been around this addiction thing long enough to know you talked to one, somebody one day and you read about their overdose the next? How'd you like to be the one that was supposed to meet them? You don't want to be that guy. Okay. So it says we pocket our pride and go to it. They're giving us a metaphor. You get the metaphor? I know you're scared. Put your ego in your pocket. Right? Do it. Physically put it in your pocket. We know you're scared. Whatever it is you're afraid to tell me, God already knows, and it's none of my business. All right, so illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Now, some promises and some conditions. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. Hear what they said? How many of you got through a fifth step and felt an experience of delight? Some people do. Some people don't. Some, you know. But that experience of delight, that's what the one taking you through it feels. We know when you're withholding and we know you're not because we are delighted. Does it make sense? Okay. Then they're talking about some other states of being. We can look the world in the eye. How many of you experienced homelessness in your struggle? The promise of us being able to look the world in the eye when we have made a conscious effort to never let that happen through our whole, yes? That's incredible. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. How many of you haven't tried to be alone, never had the opportunity to be alone, and then when in recovery you finally got the opportunity to really be alone and found out how scary that could be? How active the mind was with nothing else going on. So they're promising a place, a still place, where I can hear the inner voice. And I'm starting to learn that my prayer to unblock my consciousness, raise my awareness of that power within me, is happening. Does it make sense? Regardless of belief. That's why they said, we once believed like that, but our experience shows you need not be disconcerted. I once believed this power couldn't be proven to exist. I experienced these promises, and they pointed out to me that that was you growing in consciousness, and that's why you can feel what we're talking about now. And then I started noticing things like birds sing. That sometimes you can see the moon in the middle of the day. When did that start happening? That we lived in an in-color world instead of a black and white world. How many of you can relate what I'm talking about? 
That's what it means to awaken in the spirit, guys. To actually be in the world you're in. Our fears fall from us and we begin to feel the nearness of our creator. See how unapologetic the authors are talking about the flow, the tangible flow of the spirit? As I move through this process, I begin to feel that power within me moving. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. Look at how they differentiated it. How many of you came here with beliefs? And then when you started having the experience, you learned a whole new theology. Talking more to the religious folks, but even people come here as non-believers and they start walking in the spirit and they start having these experiences, pretty hard to deny I need to widen my branch of knowledge. Yes? Okay. So the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. That's a promise and a warning. How many of you got through four and five and you go, I'm good. How many of you got spun after that? You look like that guy down at the car wash. Yeah? I'm not supposed to lift my arm over my head. So I couldn't get to. Um, so sometimes we think we're good because we unburden ourselves a little bit, but the reality is I didn't do anything but stack it up neatly. I haven't taken out the trash. I'm not going to take out the trash so I go make amends for harms done, and I'm the big amends is always trying to help others. Nine just gets me fit enough to do 12, which is the big amends. Make sense? Okay. So it says, we feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Now they're talking in metaphor again. How many of you, after you started moving in this process, felt that your imperfection was something you could live with? That's, that's a big thing. Some of you felt that. Who felt that? It was huge. Because a lot of us had condemned ourselves, had we not? So returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour. That's pretty specific. How many of you have never tried to be quiet for an hour? Not unless you're out, huh? It's harder than it seems. That's why I call it to your attention. But these are ex explicit instructions so that you're aware of the growth in the spirit that's happening so rapidly within you. Does it make sense? Especially people come here atheist or agnostic and these things start happening for them. They need to process it. So then it says, carefully reviewing what we've done. What have we done? I've written down all these facts about myself, my selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, all the inconsiderate habits, the dishonesty, all of those things. I know all the facts about me, and yet I'm still feeling the spirit moving within me. So apparently, I'm okay with the Creator. Does that make sense? So then it says, we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know Him better. For people like me who came here with not so good of beliefs, I, that was the first honest prayer I ever said. Because it was told to me that that power I had felt flowing and moving through me and the 
the man taking me through had been experiencing powerfully, that that power was God. And so when I said the prayer this time, I wasn't looking on hilltops or clouds. I was speaking to that quiet voice within. Does that make sense? So then it says, taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we've omitted anything, for we're building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So let's go back to 58. Fifty-nine. I was just seeing if Sean was awake up here. Sean, yeah, it's, it's late for you, Sean. Okay, so step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, fentanyl, insert whatever. Powerless when? When I'm using it, when I'm not using it, kind of a high standard, isn't it? Dash, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now they made me cop to that in one, but they didn't help me discover the truth about that till two. You want to look at what they said in that? Let's go look on page 52. So the middle of page 52, when we're talking about we agnostics, we start talking about these difficulties that have plagued my life. And it says, we had to ask ourselves, in the middle of that page, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. See, that's my human problem. And alcohol and methamphetamines and cocaine were my solution for that until they weren't. Does it make sense? Which explains why I could sober up, but then I would twist off again because this had not been addressed. Does that make sense? Okay, so are we on the same point? We're still okay with that admission? All right, then step two says we came to believe that a power, you're supposed to say God now, <laughs> that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Why is it so important that we get you thinking of tangible power and not the word God that might push you off? Because power is something we're all used to seeking, too. I've been seeking power in the world. It's what got me into some of the pickles I got in. I looked for power in syringes and pipes and bottles, too. And now they're telling me I was looking in the wrong place. I got to look within. 
And they told me where I was going to find it and how I was going to find it. How am I going to find it? Deep down inside, and sometimes I'm going to have to search fearlessly. They told me that very clearly, didn't they? And they told me the reason I didn't know about it being there is that it was obscured. That power and purpose was obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship. All the more reason I did this inventory to see what that looked like, yes? Okay. And it says it could restore us to sanity. That's not a high bar. I encountered this power, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to believe it could restore me. But it's important for you to understand when we're talking 12-step recovery, what we're talking about with sanity and insanity, as opposed to what you hear in our fellowships. How many of you have heard the thing in, your fellow, in the fellowships? But sanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Well, that's not alcoholic insanity. Because any of you that took it as far as I did, we did the same thing with no expectation of a different result. What they said to me about this alcoholic insanity is... It's a lack of proportion, the inability to think clearly. So I thought temporary comfort was worth losing my business. I thought temporary comfort was worth losing my family. Or I didn't think that at all. I just thought, that what's, what could one hurt? Even though I had thousands of experiences of what, number one, there's no such thing as one with a guy like me. Anyone else? The treatment centers used to say, what's your drug of choice? More. <laughs> Not to be glib, I just wasn't picky. Anyone else? What's your drug of choice? What you got? Okay. So I need to be restored to sanity. I'm hoping this power can straighten out my lack of proportion. How many of you got your world pretty small in your addiction because nobody wanted to be around you anymore? How many of you found out when you started living in a manner of living where you thought of others and how to meet their needs, your world got bigger? Then it's pretty hard to have your lack of proportion shrunk again as long as you stay in the manner of living, isn't it? Remember how they told you it was insurance? It's insurance because the bigger you build your world, the harder it is to lose proportion. Does it make sense? All right. So, based on that encounter, made a decision. What is evidence of a decision made? Don't tell me you've made a decision if you don't have an inventory. If you're not, do, do you see what I'm saying? Not mad at you, but action taken is evidence. There's people in here that know that the old timers always told us. Three frogs, frogs on a log. One makes a decision to jump. How many frogs? Three. Three. All he did was make a decision. He didn't jump. <laughs> to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God <laughs> as we understood him. Guys, over the years, people have made that up too, and they've said, a God of your understanding, that's... That's not what they said. At this phase of your development, they're telling you of how they understood the experience. They said half of them were atheists or agnostics in the beginning. The God of their understanding did not exist, but they got shown this experience. And as they grew in the experience, 
understanding came into them. Don't believe the nonsense we hear in our fellowships. Our fellowships are not our programs. Ain't mad at them, they're just repeating what they've heard. But if you read the book, which is the witness of the first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand, what I'm telling you is absolute fact. And they'll later talk to you in a vision when you're out and you've already done all this work. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. But that's in a vision when I'm out ministering and I'm his hands and feet. Whole different experience of thinking it's a light bulb or a chair. Does that make sense? Okay. And I can show you all these parts of the book if you think that crazy fucker's just lying to us. Because I, I have a fairly good grounding in what this book says and the book that founded this, I can tell you a little about that too. Okay, so then it says, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. By this stage, we should have done that. Yeah? And then it says, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrong. That admission to self is the thing where sometimes people don't feel the delight because even though they told us everything they had to tell, they were still holding themselves condemned because they hadn't really understood the admission of powerlessness. And it's not an excuse. We've all conducted bad behavior, but I'm powerless to change how I behaved a year ago. The only thing I can possibly do is ask for power to grow into a better guy and hopefully help someone else either heal from what I did to those others or avoid those experiences going forward. But if I don't internalize that the manner of living needs to be activated for me to get the promises, I may still be holding on to guilt, shame, and remorse right here at five. Does that make sense? And if you're working with somebody and you're feeling them, but you can tell they're not feeling what they need to be feeling, then let's deconstruct it a little bit. Just a few more questions. Does it make sense? God met you where you are, right? You're good with God. You're good with me. Why aren't you good with you? Make sense? Okay. So then we're going to go over to page 76. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. So did we get through all those questions and I'm still good with my decision? My eyes are now open. In three, I made a decision to go get my eyes open. In four and five, my eyes are open. I know what I did, I know who I did it to, and I know what I'm gonna to need to go admit to them, and then they'll tell me what I gotta to do to make it right. Right? So it says we've emphasized willingness as being indispensable. You get that? Willingness is indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all, all the things which we've admitted are objectionable? Question mark. There's always a question mark because that's the time to go introspective. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. Am I now ready to let him remove it from me? Truth is, some of them I, are, I am and some of them I'm not. Yes? This might be the time to start looking at what the process looks like, right? Because it's not going to work unless I'm honest. Okay? Can he now take them all 
everyone. How many of you have had a sponsor that said, look, write down what you're willing to do right now, what you're willing to do in a little bit, and what you're willing to pray for willingness for? You got to start somewhere. We're going to act our way into better thinking. Remember, you're going to go through the rest of the steps, guys. It isn't like I'm listing defects of character here. I don't even know what they are. I think some of my defects are assets at this point. Yeah. Yeah. The way I meet all of you guys working real good. Um, I never trust you guys when you tell me how to get away with crime either. Because if you were experts on that, we wouldn't have met. <laughs> um, can he now take them all, every one? So the entire instruction for six over the years, people said there's no instruction for six. Yes, it is. It's in through the rest of the book. It's before and it's after. The key part is I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to follow through in the process. I'm going to ask for power to go out and start making amends for harm's done. And I'm going to try and carry this message to others. And in that process, he's going to remove everything because I ask him to. Does it make sense? And if we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. This is where they start to get very clear. Willingness is divine power. Do not be that man or woman who tells people you won't work with them because they're not willing. Of course they're not. They don't think they're deserving. It has nothing to do with their willingness when they're new. It has everything to do with my willingness. I'm going to show you dignity even if you don't think you deserve it. If you push me away, I'll go. If you call me back, I'll come. Because the fact is, none of us gets access to this power on our own. Someone imparts it to us through loving kindness. Does that make sense? Then it says, when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. I call to your attention, three doesn't have an amen on purpose. It was only half the prayer. I wasn't armed with the facts. God doesn't make too hard terms on those. Does it make sense? So until my eyes are open and I now know what's in front of me, now I need agreement because I need power. And I only tell you that so you understand where you're you're going because if you read the 12 and 12, Bill tells you, this is the step that separates the men from the boys. I know that's a bit of a sexist metaphor these days, but growing spiritually and saying I've made a decision doesn't mean anything. I can tell you I made a decision. You can believe me or not believe me. At this stage, I've obviously made a decision. I'm moving out. Am I still good with the decision I made now that I've counted the cost? Does that make sense? Well, then... We have then completed step seven. Next week, we'll look at eight and nine. Thanks so much.